Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. All of us have a lot on our minds these days. Our health, our finances, the changes we've made to our lives to combat COVID-19, and wondering what the future will look like once we, as they say, flatten the curve. But while we look after ourselves and our loved ones, who's looking after our most vulnerable populations? The Chicago Community Trust, United Way of Metro Chicago, and the city have come together to build a resource fund. It's called the Chicago Community COVID-19 Response Fund, and it centralizes local philanthropic dollars and distributes them to nonprofits. These dollars are specifically geared to nonprofit organizations providing crucial services across our area. Joining me now is Helene Gay, President and CEO of the Chicago Community Trust. Hi, Helene. Thank you. So first, I'm always checking in with people. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Um, I'm I'm healthy and safe and um, adapting to this new way of uh, living and doing business. Mm. Um, Of course, we're all going to be happy when we can go back to some modicum of normalcy um, when when the time is right. Indeed. So what is your overall impression of how COVID-19 is impacting our region? As you know, um, we have had um, a fairly rapid increase in, in cases, particularly in the Chicago and the surrounding regions. But on the other hand, we've also very quickly jumped in with the kinds of measures that we know can make a difference in slowing the transmission. So, you know, I think it, it's to be expected that Chicago, the third largest city in the nation, where we have had major congregations, where we have people who take our public transportation, where we, you know, people were engaged uh, fully in in social activities before we knew how serious this was. You know, it's not unexpected that we would have at first a fairly steep rise in increases in in new infections. On the other hand, the fact that we did quickly put in place the stay-at-home order, social distancing, closing of places where people congregate, you know, I think that the story in Chicago and in Illinois could, in fact, um, be one of the better news stories. Well, tell us more about the Chicago Community COVID-19 Response Fund and, and how it got started. This was clearly in response to what we knew would be um, a real need. This um, epidemic has both a health as well as a social and economic dimension. We knew that as a result of people staying at home, as a result of businesses closing down, et cetera, that we were going to see real um, basic needs, suffering in people and households having major impact on kind of the economic and social side as well as the health side. So ourselves, along with the United Way of Chicago, of Metro Chicago launched this fund um, in collaboration with the city, knowing that there was going to be a great need and that while it was likely that there would be state and federal public dollars, that private dollars could fill some of those gaps and could be deployed very rapidly. So that was the basis under which we decided to launch this fund and be able to have 
dollars that could flow very rapidly to the hardest hit families and communities. Talk about some of the people who are most vulnerable right now during this pandemic. Well, you know, in many ways, they're the people who have been most vulnerable um, for social and and particularly economic instability even before. These are people who are hourly workers, uh, people who are in jobs in the gig economy who don't have the kinds of benefits that other workers do, um, people who are taking care of family members, clearly people who children are now home because of the school closures who may or may not have the kind of child care that they need to be able to continue to do their hourly wage jobs um, where they're really concerned about um, being able to keep food on the table. So, you know, we're talking about communities that are already socially and, and particularly economically vulnerable. And those are the same people who are at greatest risk for falling further into poverty, having more economic instability as this uh, epidemic continues to evolve and take its course. Can you give us some examples of the types of nonprofits you're helping right now? Well, you know, we've been able to to reach a, a wide range of nonprofits. And by the way, just to say, we're very proud that we have thus far raised almost $19 million for this uh, fund. And we've also helped the state launch a fund to to provide resources for places outside of Metro Chicago. They've always already raised $25 million. So we've raised more than $40 million for the state already. You know, in our first round of funding, we got dollars out to uh, two categories of um, organizations. One, large, relatively large organizations that had the capacity to get food, to get cash into people's hands who need to pay rent, uh, people who were, were shelter and home insecure, making sure that there was shelter. So really looking at those basic needs with organizations who could rapidly meet those needs. But we also made sure that we funded community-based organizations in some of the more um, economically vulnerable neighborhoods, because those are the kind of the grassroots organizations that also know where the needs are greatest and can get resources, whether it's food, whether it's shelter, whether it's cash, into people's hands um, quickly. So, And we will continue to do a mix of some of the larger kind of you know, think food pantries, think homeless um, organizations, et cetera, and also making sure that we're funding organizations that are close to the ground and really working in communities that are most vulnerable. When I think about your background and the fact that you're leading the Chicago Community Trust right now, um, it, it's an interesting convergence. You're a medical doctor. Uh, you have deep experience in, in public health crises through your work with uh, CARE, which is a leading international humanitarian organization. When you look at what's unfolding with this pandemic, how does your experience with care and your experience as a medical doctor inform the way you're approaching this work? Well, you know, um, another part of my um, history is I spent 20 years with the Centers for Disease Control. So, you know, and I I worked on, um, particularly worked on HIV um, when HIV was first starting to unfold. And when I was at CARE, we were very involved with the response to Ebola, as well as emergency um, response altogether, uh, uh, emergency response um, more generally, more broadly. So, you know, I've kind of got this 
background of public health and epidemiology and, and disease control along with emergency response. So you're right, this is um, a, a time where that expertise um, has been helpful. And I think, you know, looking at lessons from um, how to make sure we're responding rapidly, as well as thinking about what are the right kinds of ways um, to think about controlling diseases, um, you know, I think has been helpful as we've thought about our response to this uh, pandemic. Helene, I'm, I'm curious about the lessons you've learned from your background and, and what you're applying here in Chicago right now. Well, I think, you know, when I think about how you control um, an epidemic and tr- further transmission, while that's not what I'm focusing on now, I would just say that I think our health department at the city and the state level have done an excellent job. You know, when um, you have something like what we have with COVID-19, a new a new infection that has the potential to sweep through the whole population because we have not immunologically seen it before, what you have to do is to shut down people being able to transmit to other people. So this is why we're doing the social distancing. The quickest way to to kind of stop transmission and halt that chain is to make sure that people who have the infection are not able to keep passing that on to other other people. So we've done the right things. We've contained, we've, we've asked people to stay at home. And it's so important, particularly because people may not have any symptoms and don't know that they could be transmitting this infection. So, you know, we've done the right things for the containment. And I think we'll, you know, as we continue to look at how long this needs to go on, that will be dictated by how much more we continue to learn about the pattern of spread here in Illinois and in Chicago, as well as the rest of the nation, because we're so connected. So, you know, I think we're doing the right things. We have to just keep moving them forward. I think we're learning a lot about how to respond. And also, um, when we think about this fact that the people that were that are most impacted, particularly economically by this, are people who were already living in vulnerable um, situations. I think we're learning a lot more about things that hopefully we can continue to think about carrying on after this. Such as? Um, so as an example, you know, there's been a pausing of fines and fees. Well, you know, the office, uh, the mayor's office had been looking at this discriminatory impact of fines and fees on the poorest citizens. Now that we're doing that, we can look at what the impact of that is. And is that something that we can think about differently? The fact that we're giving cash to people who are cash uh, strapped in this in this epidemic uh, because they've lost their job, rents are due. Well, we've often talked about, you know, cash transfers and how that helps people in economically insecure situations. So is that something that we could think about as a longer term measure? Uh, aid to small businesses. We know there are a lot of small businesses that have had to shut their doors. And we now have both at the city level as well as now federal aid that's coming in to shore up small businesses, well, maybe we'll learn something about how flexibly we can give loans to small businesses that can be more long-term in the way that we think about how do we make sure that the small businesses are given the oxygen they need, if you will, the um, economic support to actually grow those businesses. So, you know, um, you know, I could go on, but you look at the laptops and and computers that are being distributed to uh, CPS students. Well, is there an opportunity to learn about 
distance learning that could be helpful in making up educational gaps in our young people on a longer term basis, as well as giving children the opportunity to have more access to technology. So I think there's a lot of things that we're doing during this response that I hope we'll continue to look at. Um, are there ways of thinking about these in longer term ways for some of the populations that are most vulnerable um, during this outbreak and epidemic, but have been vulnerable all along. So that that leads me to to question what recovery looks like. If, if we're talking about vulnerable populations being deeply affected by this pandemic, we also know we don't know the end point of this pandemic. We don't know the total economic fallout. What does long-term recovery look like and what role does philanthropy uh, play in that recovery? It's pretty clear that this has had such a deep economic impact that we won't just bounce back out of this. And that's why I, you know, I, I hope that some of the things that we've put in place, we will not um, go back to where we were uh, before this and actually think about how are we um, continuing to reinforce populations uh, so that they have the resiliency? You know, when I was doing international uh, emergency work, we would always talk about after an earthquake, after um, a major disaster, could we build back better? And could we use this as an opportunity to not just say, well, we go back to the way things were because, you know, people are less resilient to shocks because they don't, they're not shock-proofed. And so I think if we can use this as an opportunity for building that kind of resiliency, building back better, so that, you know, we know that there will be economic shocks, we know there will be health shocks in the future, we want to make sure that the most vulnerable, that we're building resiliency in those communities so that whenever the next shock comes, um, we won't be starting from ground zero again. So that's that's my hope, is that we really think about this kind of notion of building back better. That's Helene Gale, president and CEO of the Chicago Community Trust. They, along with United Way of Metro Chicago and the city of Chicago, have started the Chicago Community COVID-19 Response Fund. They pull together local philanthropic dollars and distribute them to nonprofits serving our area. If you'd like to contribute to that fund, you can visit and find out more information at ChicagoCOVID19ResponseFund.org. We'll also tweet out a link at WBEZ Reset. Helene, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for all you do. And that's Reset for today. For the latest news you can trust on the COVID-19 outbreak, tune to 91.5 WBEZ, stream us at WBEZ.org, or go to WBEZ.org slash coronavirus. I'm Jen White. Stay healthy, stay inside, and let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.